I know. I don't really need to do anything, I don't think. <laughs> and I really don't. Which would be the point if you want to take the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> it's God. The end. <laughs> I wound up not in what church people like to call a community of believers, which tends to be code for a club of like-minded people. But instead, I found myself in something wilder and huger than I could have ever expected. I found myself in the suffering, fractious, unboundaried body of Christ. Many of you know that I began my official ministry training and activity in New York City. And as a young, new, bright, ready, do-gooding minister, I arrived in New York City much like the disciples in our scripture text today arrived in that place with Jesus. with a whole lot of earnest intention to do good and love God's people. With a sack in my hand that had a pudding cup and a water and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and some ideas about an open table and how God was for all people. I was sure I had what it takes. And in New York City, I stood there along with those disciples in today's scripture, and I about died. How utterly insufficient were the things that I brought in the face of the need around me. Day after day, people would show up at that church needing things I could not possibly give. Families with young children evicted onto the streets, people dying of HIV or other illnesses turned away from hospitals, people who were hungry for food and for shelter and for medical care, people being beaten and needed safe space, people who had inner demons that needed to be expelled because they could not stop the voices in their head and could find no rest, people who believed that they were damned eternally, people who were struggling with very simple things like how to make it through this day with a raging infection in a hundred degree heat and unable to find a safe space because the police are starting a new effort to rid the park benches of the resting. A sack lunch and a heart full of love were utterly 
insufficient. Like the disciples of today's scripture, I too looked upon all of this and said, how it is impossible. I was so mistaken. And I was on the edge of losing any faith that I thought I was bringing into that place. None were more suffering or fractious or unboundaried than Claire. One of my very first times in the pulpit there, I was still a student and learning how to preach, and I had my manuscript nice and neat, and I had my outfit already the night before, and I was very practiced and able, and I was about to save the body with eloquence and insight, and I was preaching with power and might, or at least not falling over. <laughs> when in the back of the sanctuary, there was a disturbance in the aisle. Yes, a disturbance in the aisle. I was focusing and trying to stay steady, but I couldn't help it. I, there was something going on. I thought it was one, maybe it was more than one person, but there was movement, and I realized it was a woman covered with plastic bags who was leaping out of her pew into the middle of the aisle and throwing herself on the ground and then hopping up again and then throwing herself on the ground and then hopping up again. It was very distracting. The people around her were moving away. A few were not paying attention and seemed quite at ease. I was not. <laughs> this woman remained in the back and her pew, rustling her plastic bags throughout the sermon. I felt personally offended for a moment. Then I asked for God's forgiveness, like a good Christian, and proceeded. <laughs> In time, I was able to meet Claire. For a while, it was very difficult because she did not like to have human interactions. <laughs> so after when I approached her in the pews, she moved far away from me and made now sounds like letting me know I wasn't really welcome right where she was in the moment. She continued to attend church in the 7 p.m. service that we had and she would regularly throw herself around in the aisle. The rest of us, myself included, came to understand it was her way of disrupting the radioactive waves that were coming from the satellites that the government had set up. She was trying to be safe and alive in church. And so we got used to her presence, and little by little she got used to ours, mine in particular, she would never come forward to receive the bread in the cup. That was way too personal. But after a time, she let me sit in the pew with her, and we would have conversations, sort of. She would say things that were difficult for me to understand, and I would listen, and I would say things back to her which she may or may not have understood that had to do with her presence here being welcomed and my gratefulness to see her and hoping that she was doing well. She spoke to me of 
strange mathematic equations and radiation in the blood and the conspiracy of the government that was trying to kill her and all of us. After a while, time went on, and she one day came forward and came up to me to receive communion. It was miraculous. She came forward and stood in front of me just like we do here for communion. And as I went to take the bread in the cup and offer it to her, no, no, just pray. She wouldn't be able to handle me actually touching something that would touch her. But she would at least receive the prayer. And so it went for a while. Claire would come, no, no, just pray. And I would pray, and that would be the communion we shared. Eventually, you know what happened. One day, she put her hands out. She wouldn't let me actually touch the bread and put it in the cup and give it to her mouth, but she allowed me to place it in her hand, and she fed herself. It was another miracle. More time passed. One evening in the social hour that we had following church down in the basement of the building, which was also a homeless shelter for youth, who were not there yet, they took a couple hours after church before they filled the hall. I was with Claire, and we were doing our usual strange kind of conversing together. When she reached into her plastic bags and pulled out a pair of scissors, she indicated to me that she wanted me to cut her hair. It was a shocking miracle. This woman, who could not bear being anywhere close to another human being without layers and layers of black plastic bags wrapped all around any exposed part of her body, was handing me a pair of scissors, which could have been a weapon, and bending her head toward me, vulnerable, exposed, so that I could cut her hair. In that moment, I experienced the presence of Jesus. It was overwhelming to me. It made no sense. I cannot tell you that that presence was in me because it wasn't me. I'm not so sure that it was in her per se. It was like something in between us was alive with Christ, and I felt it as sure as I feel the ground underneath my feet. And I tenderly cut her hair. I had to hold myself back from crying. Some time passed after that, and Claire gave a gift to me. She came and she handed me a large plastic sack full of plastic sacks. <laughs> she gave me the bag, and she said to me in one of the most coherent conversations we had, that I was to take these plastic bags because I was a good person and they were going to try to kill me. So I needed to promise her that I would take those bags and I would cover myself up so that I would be protected so they wouldn't get me. She was worried for my well-being. 
She wanted to protect me in the way she knew. I couldn't wear the plastic bags. I couldn't wear them as often as Claire would have preferred, like around the clock. She became very distressed. Eventually, she stopped coming to church for a while. I received a phone call in the middle of the week. It was from Claire at a payphone asking me to meet her at a Burger King in Brooklyn. I got on the subway and I went. I found her in the back of Burger King where all the people were politely moving far away with her bags and her bags. I sat with her for a moment. I had missed her and I told her so. She told me very distressed that she loved me and I wasn't wearing the plastic bags and she knew that I was going to die. And she could not stay and watch that happen. So she was leaving and she would not be back. She hoped that I did not die, but since I would not take her advice, she feared it was already happening. I was not safe for her anymore. And she wanted to know if I could tell her which train to take to Louisiana. I haven't seen Claire since that time. I pray for her daily. I was praying for her this morning. I was praying with her, actually. I could feel her presence here. I learned a great deal in my relationship with Claire. One of the most important things that I learned had to do with seeing and believing. In today's scripture, we are given what is the most famous miracle story of Jesus. It is the only miracle story which is found in all four of the Gospels. In our version today, Jesus says, this is a test. And what is the test? Often it is put forward that the test is one very simple test. Do you or don't you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And for those who don't believe, they are proven wrong by the miracle which happens when something which is clearly impossible occurs at his hand. I would invite us to a deeper conversation. First of all, because Jesus is ambivalent at best about what we are to do with miracles. It's a strange thing because we see him performing miracles or something miraculous like multiple times through the scriptures. Yet at the same time, he turns to people and says, why are you always looking for signs? Clearly, there is something that he wants us to understand that is a little more complicated than see, believe, all done. The test, I would suggest for us today, has to do with being able to step beyond merely seeing the need to discerning the need. Let me say that again. The disciples were able to see the crowds 
and see that there was no food. I was able to see the many people on the streets of New York and see that I did not have health care and legal advocacy and all sorts of other things that I would best be able to give them. We could see the need, but we were not discerning the need. You see, seeing is something that takes place very much on the surface. We observe and we calculate and we acknowledge. Discernment involves a connection where we drop more deeply into our own hearts, our own bodies, and our spirits, and we feel and listen and engage with our whole selves to come to a knowing that is available through our own knowing. Jesus was inviting the disciples to know what would satisfy the hunger the people came with. He was encouraging them to come to that knowing by recognizing why they themselves were following him. There is a difference between believing something and believing in it. I did not believe the many things that Claire said to me. I did not believe that I was targeted by the CIA. I did not believe that she had uranium in her blood. I did not believe that we would all die very shortly because bombs would be dropped from satellites in the sky because the government is targeting us. I did not believe those things, but I believed in Claire. I believed in her humanity. I believed in the God I could see in her no matter whether or not she made sense to me. I believed in her ability to make her way through the world despite her way being different than what I myself would consider reasonable. I believed in the relationship that came to pass between us. I believed in the reality of the love that we shared. I believed in Claire. It was a very different question than whether or not I believed her. I believe that Jesus is asking us to understand this difference in the scripture today. Do we believe whether or not there were five, 10, 20, 100 loaves? Or do we believe in the presence of God in those that followed Jesus? Do we believe in our shared humanity that is met in the hunger that we bring ourselves to those places of seeking and longing? Do we believe in the miraculous unfolding of the presence of Jesus that can occur when in the face of the impossible, we go forward anyway? In the face of the unintelligible, we say, I will open myself to understanding. When we will, in the face of the overwhelming, say, yes, I will bring myself to you regardless. We are to discern the need, 
rather than see it. And likewise, we are to discern the miraculous underneath the miracle that we are given to look at. For the miracle was not in the loaves. The miracle was in the feeding. The miracle is not a matter of addition or subtraction, not a matter of what we can count and figure out ourselves. In fact, our counting and figuring out ourselves, proving whether something is real, is actually working ourselves away from the miraculous. Why? Because when I can count, when I can add and subtract, when I can decide whether something is real or possible or not, I can be self-sufficient. I can determine what is possible and impossible, and I will bear the responsibility for finding my way. The problem with such things is this. In the face of the need of the world, I might as well go home because my self-sufficiency cannot feed you. My self-sufficiency, frankly, cannot feed myself. Your self-sufficiency won't save you. It won't feed you. And it won't feed others. Finding a way to make more bread is not the point. Finding a way to know what it is that we hunger and thirst for and to connect with each other in that place despite the pain and the confusion and the struggle against what we think. When we connect there and somehow develop relationship with each other and come to know a strange trust and a strange hope and a strange love, all of a sudden there the presence of Christ comes alive. The miracle is the miraculous which rises from our willingness to embrace the impossible reality of God in our own lives. We come to this miracle after several others in the scriptures. We've had the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. We've had the miracle of Jesus showing up with the woman at the well and telling her all about herself. We've had the miracle of the man saying that he wanted his son to be healed from afar. And we've had the miracle of one other thing that I just forgot. <laughs> All right, it's very important. <laughs> we've had the miracle of the healing at the pool with the man who was waiting and waiting and waiting to be healed when Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. Without going in the details of all these miracles, what they have in common is this. Jesus did things in a way that was intimate and revelatory for the people involved. And that occurrence in their lives made way for the healing of others. The water into wine was something which provided a vision for the disciples of God's provision and blessing, and then they believed in Jesus in a way that enabled them to proclaim the truth in their own experience. 
The woman who came to the well, who had all those husbands and none, came with shame, imposed by outside ideas about what was holy and good and true, and Jesus meeting her there and telling her who she was without shame, just truth, enabled her to hear him say, and here is who I am, and here we meet. Where you are, who you are, I can be who I am, and that is the miracle of it and here we meet. She goes immediately and she tells a city full of people, here is the one, and they come and they are freed into the knowledge of a loving and revealing God, both, one who sees and blesses. The father is able to hear those stories from far away and ask, can you please heal my son? He's not here. And Jesus says, if you know what you know, it is so and the child is healed because the man claims what he has seen in others for himself. And finally, the one in the pool of water waiting for others to tell him, here, let me get you healed, finally has the miracle revealed to him that he can claim it for himself. Go, says Jesus, take up your mat and walk. Wait not on others. Claim your own healing. Every one of the miraculous occasions involved Jesus' presence in an intimate, revealing way that invites people to claim their own healing, their own freedom, their own blessing, their own provision, so that they might live in ways that reveal the impossible reality of God to others. How do we feed the 5,000? We open ourselves to the miracle, the miraculous, the impossible reality of God in our own lives. It's already here. How many of you have had the miracle of sobriety? How many of you had the miracle of forgiveness? How many of you have had the miracle of healing? How many of you have hope today where you were suicidal at one time in your life? It is a miracle. How many of you have love where you were told you could have no love? It is a miracle. How many of you find yourselves full of life and open to the adventure that is before you when before you had despair? It is a miracle. The miracle of life-giving presence moving in and through you because we recognize in each other and walk together in the truth of our shared humanity. And in our reaching for each other across what seems impossible, the impossible reality of God comes to life. All are fed because we ourselves come hungry and we take the bread and we live into the impossible reality of God. And so here we are, a community of miraculous depth and love, opening ourselves even now to the truth of God within so that we might feed not just one another, but that suffering, fractious, unboundaried body of Christ who will feed us with their trust and their lives.
and their hope in return. It is a joy, this adventure. Go in peace.